Thank you for joining us today for the preaching ministry of Dr. Chris Aiken, Senior Pastor of Inglewood Baptist Church in Rocky Mount, North Carolina. Inglewood is a dynamic ministry reaching Eastern North Carolina and the world with the timeless truth of the gospel. For more information, visit us online at inglewoodbaptist.com. Now here's Pastor Chris with today's message. Let me invite you to take your Bibles if you brought a copy of the Scriptures with you. Open with me the book of Hebrews chapter 2. We're going to begin in verse 5 this morning, work our way through verse 8. Hebrews 2 verses 5 to 8 will be our text. If you're joining us from home, I we're grateful for your presence as well. And uh, trust, hope, pray that God will speak to your heart. As we talk about what we just sang about, the reign of Christ, I want to speak to you on the subject, the already and not yet reign of Christ. The already and the not yet reign of Christ. What do you mean by that, Chris? I'm speaking what theologians talk about in the inaugurated yet not consummated kingdom of God uh, and the way that it, uh, uh, it's manifested our understanding here in the world today in which we live. Let me introduce the message perhaps this way and say that um, sometime back I was counseling, Jody and I were counseling with uh, an individual who had, as we, who was struggling with faith and here was why. Uh, she had experienced abuse in her early childhood and she wrestled with the sense in her own spirit, if there is a God, why did he allow that to happen to me? And by the way, that's a fair question. It's one that I imagine the presence of evil and, and why does evil still persist in the world is a real question that perhaps maybe even all of us have asked in some form or shape throughout our days. And it really does point to the fact of, of if God really does reign as we talked about, how come I experience the things that I do? Or understandably, can I even trust this God that we sing to and sing about? The fact of the matter is, is that there's a lot goes on in the world today that makes us all shake our heads. We look at some of the stuff that happens around us and we go, man, there is no way. God can be in charge, and then that is still reality. But really, God's instructions have never been necessarily easy for us to deal with. There's a certain degree of difficulty in accepting what God has taught us or tells us or commands of us or instructs of us. No matter who we are and no matter what area of life we're talking about, we struggle with the difficulty. Now listen, just because something's difficult doesn't mean it's something that should be ignored and it doesn't make it wrong. It just makes it difficult. But sometimes the difficulty comes in the battle that seems to take place between I want to do what God says and I feel, I experience, I've gone through this particular thing. Different areas where you might experience that could be in the area of relationships. I mean, I, I imagine everybody here at some point has been Twitter-pated somewhere along the way with someone who you wasn't supposed to be with. Y'all are a quiet group this morning. I'm glad you're here. If your mics are on, you can turn them on even now. And uh, hey, have you ever sat there and you said, man, I, I don't know, I think he's so adorable, she's so beautiful, I've just got to be with him. And yet God said, hey, listen, when you connect in relationship, it ought to be with someone that's pointed the same direction in the spiritual, uh, in spiritual pursuits that you are. It ought to be someone who's a Christ follower if you're a Christ follower. 
If you're not a Christ follower, then I guess it doesn't matter. But if you are a Christ follower, you really want to be connected with someone who is. And yet, I wish I could tell you the number of heartbreaks. I've gotten to just try to console, kind of, when they say, you know, he just doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. I thought he'd get saved if he got married to me. No, actually, we're just the opposite of that. Dating evangelism is not in the Bible. It's relationships, but other areas. Uh, here's one that's common in our culture today is in the area of sexuality. And we talked about this a number of times. It's all over the news. Can I trust God that the way He made me when He created me is in fact who I am, even if I don't feel like I am who I am? And if, is that feeling based in some some transcendental fact of reality, or is it based in the brokenness and rebellion of the world in which we live in? Can I trust God with what He says about sexuality? Can I trust God with what He says about justice? When we look around and we see brokenness in the world, we see, uh, we see oppression in the world, we see evil in the world, we see racism in the world, we see uh, misogyny in the world, when we see those things, does it cause us to say, God must not exist if that does? Or can we trust Him? He is who He says He is. He will do what He says He'll do. And even if you don't see justice today, justice is a coming. Can you trust Him in that way? Can you trust Him in the area of, and this is a struggle for, I imagine most of us, maybe not, maybe I'm the only unspiritual one here, but in the area of quietness. When you really want to hear from God and you think, I've approached Him with everything I have in my heart, but He seems silent. You've asked Him for an answer and yet He's not responded. He's not giving you what you're looking for. Or He gave it to you, but it wasn't what you wanted, so you assumed it wasn't Him. And He's quiet. Can we assume then at that point that God's on vacation or can we trust He's there and He hears? And His silence even is for our own good. Can you trust Him in the quiet? There sometimes seems to be a disconnect between the two realities of Jesus ruling and the mess that we find ourselves living in. But ultimately, this dissonance resonates in our hearts whether we're courageous enough to mention it or not simply because we're trying to answer the question, can I trust Jesus with this thing? And I don't think, by the way, that question offends Jesus. I don't think Jesus hears you say to him, can I trust you in this? And he's suddenly so offended, he puts up his hands, he turns around and walks away as if to have nothing else to do with you. I don't think that's true. I don't think he's offended by the question. I think he's a big boy and he can handle it. But I do think the question clarifies our own hearts and it makes clear, it illuminates the next steps in our journey if we're to experience the fullness of the rule and reign of Christ in our lives and in the world around us. The writer of Hebrews is addressing that as he deals with some of the other apparent disconnects in the hearts of his hearers. We saw last week he dealt with the fact that he said angels may look like they're super in charge and they're super powerful, but Jesus, the one who died, he's more powerful than even angels. Today we're going to talk about this subject of the already and not yet reign of Christ. Hebrews 2, we're going to begin in verse 5. And can I invite you, if you're able, stand with me in honor of the Word of God. And if you're joining us from home, we're grateful. You follow along with us. I'm reading from the New American Standard Translation. The Bible says in verse 5, For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we're speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, 
What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned about him? You've made him for a little while lower than the angels. You've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Would you pause right there? Pray with me. Lord, would you in these moments teach us the truth of that and then help us to trust and we'll thank you for it. Find our response pleasing in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Thank you for standing. You be seated. If you'd like to follow along, there's a simple outline on this message. Just really three observations I want to share with you. You can find that outline on your church app under the sermon notes section. You'll find it there. They're there every week. Every time we come together, we place those there. So if you don't have the app, I'd encourage you to get it. Um, it's available to you. It doesn't cost you anything. It's a, it's a good way to keep up with it. In fact, on that app, we also remind you uh, about people groups that we're praying for and provide you resources as you're leading your family to pray uh, for them. Resources about uh, all the things going on this month and milestone month, all of those things. Maybe you don't have it now and you'd like to follow along. You could text the word notes to the number you see on the screen. We'll send the link to the, uh, to the outline directly to your device and you can follow along with us. Or you can go old school, grab that piece of paper they handed you when you came in. Flip it over, borrow some mask scanner or eyeliner or something from your, uh, your spouse and just uh, start taking notes, okay? Let me share with you these three observations I want you to see with me. Notice with me, first of all, that God's people, us, the children of God, the people of God, God's people are in God's reign and rule under His kingdom. We are vice regents. I want you to see with me God's people as vice regents, as vice regents, those who rule alongside of, who co-reign with Christ. Now, if it weren't shocking enough to the audience to consider that Christ is superior to angels, the writer takes us down a path now reminding us that mankind and not angels were given the authority to rule over God's creation. If, in fact, he said, hey, if, you, if your mind was blown that Jesus is superior to angels, check it. The mankind is given a role, a responsibility to steward God's creation above and beyond over even angels. And that really had to cause them to just explode. Hebrews 2, verses 5 and 6, notice he says, For he did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we're speaking. But one is testified somewhere. By the way, that's not him saying, I don't know where that is. It's just saying that's not as important as what he said. Someone's testified somewhere saying, What is man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned about him? For the last several weeks, I've been telling you that you notice the font change, and that's a, that's a translator's hack so that you can understand when you see your Bible in the English translation, you can realize that when you see that, that font change, that going from normal case to all caps, it points to it. It says, this is actually an Old Testament verse that the writer is quoting here, and he's quoting it so that we can see it. Where he's quoting this quote comes from Psalm 8. And the psalmist in that great psalm in Psalm 8 in the totality of the psalm, he speaks of the majesty of God. He talks about the splendor of God. He talks about the power of God. He talks about the beauty and the magnificence of God's creation. And then he notes that in light of all of that, what is man that you would even pay him a second thought? What is man that you're mindful of? In light of all that, of all God's creative work, man seems small. 
And by the way, that's not wrong, it's just not complete. Man does seem small. But the same magnificent God who created all the things that we say are so magnificent also created man. As small and insignificant as he may appear, he created and then he committed to him. He commissioned him to steward, to cultivate, to promote God's glory all throughout the flourishing of creation. In fact, that's it from the very beginning. We see it in, if you're taking notes, jot down Genesis 1 verses 27 and 28. It says, God created man in his own image. That, that word, by the way, man, that, it's not saying he made man in his own image, then he made woman. No, it's really best understood as mankind. God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then God blessed them and God said to them, you be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created all that there is and then he committed the management, the stewardship, the rule, the reign over it to humanity, to mankind. Now don't hear that these responsibilities being given to man somehow then comes in conflict or in competition. Rather, it operates in concert with God, in concert with Him. It's not like He said, okay, God used to be in charge of this. It's now your job. Go and do it the way this seems best to you. No, it's actually in reality, it's God working through us as His agents to steward, to shepherd, to care for all of creation and to bring about flourishing for His glory. By the way, those rules haven't changed. You may say, well, I, I thought they did. I mean... I mean, that was Genesis 1, Chris, but you remember in Genesis 3, man blew it. Didn't he get fired? It's a fair assessment. Some would say, man, once you blow it, you might get fired. But God didn't actually fire anyone. Just made it more difficult for us to do our job. He said we're charged with taking care of things. And then God gives us a picture of that. He says, sure, humanity, the first Adam, he failed. But then God took that failure and he replaced it with the second Adam. By the way, if you're looking for a reference for that, just jot down. I won't show it to you, but just jot down 1 Corinthians 15, verse 45, where God says the second Adam comes and does what the first Adam could not do. He's speaking of Jesus. He says that what mankind messed up initially, God set right in the sending of Christ. And these verses remind us that you and I have a responsibility, an ongoing responsibility, a a perpetual responsibility to supervise, to steward God's creation as broken as it is now. Broken from the consequences of rebellion and to bring it about so that it flourishes to God's glory. You may say, well, Chris, I, I read the end of the book. The whole thing ends up in smoke, man. I just don't think that we're ever going to succeed at that. Listen, the outcome is not the measure of obedience. Obedience defines obedience. If he calls us to be stewards just because you think it's not going to work out so well is not a license to ignore or be disobedient. Obedience requires obedience. If we're going to be obedient to him, we have to be obedient to what he said. Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over it and care for it. In other words, you may look around and say, this place is a mess, but can I just say to you with a smile on my face, it's our mess. 
we're supposed to fix it. Well, I thought God was going to fix it in the second coming. He's going to make it real right. That don't mean we can't pick up the laundry and put it away. I don't know any other way to explain it than that, but y'all are not giving me any reaction whatsoever. I feel, I'm just going to prophetically tell you, 2.30's are coming and we'll just be closing. Or you can talk back to me. Help a brother. We don't do this in our own initiative, this stewarding of creation. We don't do it in our own strength, but we do it as vice regents of God. In other words, it's Christ working in us and it's Christ working through us to fulfill that. Why? He wants it to flourish to the glory of God. God's people as vice regents. Then notice secondly, that the qualified Christ, the Messiah, the qualified Christ was both humbled and exalted. He was both humbled and exalted. Just as mankind is a pretty unlikely pick to reign with God, let me say to you that a suffering servant is not the typical picture of a strong and saving sovereign. In other words, there are folks that would look at it and say, so your Jesus is your champion and your Jesus is the one who rules over all the universe. Didn't they kill him? I mean, without a fight, that doesn't sound like a champion. (laughs) He was both humbled and exalted. Look at verses 6 and 7 of our text. He says, but one has testified somewhere saying, what is man that you remember him or the son of man that you're concerned about him you've made him for a little while lower than the angels you've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands now he speaks here of the son of man and he says he's made a little lower than the angels and he's crowned him with glory and honor now that refers you need to just get past people have argued about this through the ages but uh, that refers really to Jesus it's a foreshadowing this son of man that he's talking about really does point to Jesus the one who rules and reigns to glory to the glory of God rules and reigns over all of creation but in some ways while it refers to Jesus it also points to us why because we're fellow heirs and vice regents with him who will rule over creation heirs take the word heir out and insert the word family we're family look at Romans chapter 8 verses 16 and 17 he says the spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God if you're a Christ follower we're children of God and if children Heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him so that we may be glorified with him. Heirs of God, yep, same way Jesus is an heir. Heirs with Christ, yep, same reigning responsibility as those who have inherited the authority from the Father and carry out the responsibilities of reign vice regency now there's hope in that hope because the the rebellion and consequence of sin in genesis 3 it describes our past but it does not define our future we don't look back and say man i blew it i'm no longer qualified to be used of god in order to be to accomplish this thing that brings him glory no friend he takes broken stuff and he makes it usable again And when he makes it usable again, it's attractive to the other broken stuff 
around the world. See, that's really the question we want to know. We want to know, can I trust God to give me a second shot at this thing? I don't need anybody to tell me I blew it. I know I blew it. I want to know if he can make it better. I want to know if he can restore me to the way I'm supposed to be. I want to know if I can fulfill purpose. And the answer is yes. Why? Because of Christ's humility and then exaltation. His humility and sacrifice and his exaltation as as sovereign means that the hope of God's design and his purpose is still available for us as his people. Well, how did he do this in a way that's both righteous and just, Chris? I mean, how does God take my brokenness and still be just in treating me and giving me a second chance? Man, what a great question. I'm so glad you asked. Because see, the Bible reveals that God is perfectly just. In other words, God does not sit down and say, bless your heart, you gave it, a, you gave it your best shot, but I'm going to lower the standard. We're going to work down the curve a little bit. So that you can make it in. He doesn't do that. He never lowers the standard. God does it great on a curve, one preacher said. He grades it on the cross. So it's not that he lowers the standard. His standard of justice is exactly there. Well, then how do I get in? God said, you're broken, but I'm going to do it over. And my son's going to come and he's going to do it right. And then... I'm going to take all your rebellion and every consequence for it and I'm going to pour that out on him. Not as an unwilling victim, but as a humbled victor. And then when when I pour all out the righteous judgment on him, there's nothing left for you to pay. But you're still broke. So I'm going to take all his goodness And when you yield as a child of God, I'm going to take it, I'm going to pour that back on you. So when I see you, I don't actually see what you did wrong. That was settled. I see what my son did right. Therefore, you will reign jointly with him. And God gets to be both just and the justifier, both just and righteous at the same time. And you and I get in on it. You say, well, Chris, I don't. I don't know. I don't know if I can, I don't know if I get my head wrapped around all of that. I don't either. Look this way. You know it doesn't matter if you know how it works or not, right? Your eternity does not depend on whether or not Chris can tell you the mechanics of all of this. Your eternity depends on whether or not God said it, whether he can do it, whether you believe it, And if you'll walk in trust of it, that's where eternity rests. Can you trust him? And if you can, even if you can't explain all of it, it works. We're going to get to this later in the study. We'll be over in chapter 4 when we do. But we understand in in Christ's humbling, his humbling came as he was made like us. When he set aside all of, all of the benefit of glory as, a, as the reigning side, as God himself. And he set that aside. He did not, Paul said to the church at Philippi, he did not consider that something to cling to. But he laid it aside and took on the form of flesh like us. 
and died death and not just any death but death on a cross and he struggled with us and we'll learn in chapter 4 he does that so that he can become for us a faithful high priest one who can relate to us and could intercede on our behalf before a holy father one who was in every way tempted as we are yet without sin and he'll reign over all creation and we join him friends in the family business Where Christ today is, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. Ephesians 1 verses 21 and following said this, He's seated far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. And every name that's named. Not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. And gave him his head over all things to the church. Which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. So here's what he says. As his family, as his body, as his church, we join with him in his victory. You say, I, I, I don't know how that works. Again, trust. Faith is believing in something that you can't quite see how it works yet, but you know the someone who told you. And it's walking with him through it. But we're victorious in that. That's the church. Wherever Christ the head is, his body is also. Philippians 3 verses 20 and 21. We're reminded as Paul says, for our citizenship is in heaven from which also we eagerly wait for a savior. The Lord Jesus Christ who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of his glory. By the exertion of the power that he has, even to subject all things to himself. Chris, thank you. I know I'm victorious. I get it. But I don't feel it. It's good that you tell me I am. It's good. But listen, unless we're on a football team and we're in the last two minutes and you're just trying to pump me up to go try to get one more across the goal line. Unless that's what we're doing. It doesn't change how I feel. I don't feel victorious. I get that. Yeah, and the world, by the way, doesn't look like Jesus is running the joint. I get that too. So notice with me this last observation that Christ reigns even if we do not yet see it. Christ reigns even if we do not yet experience it, if we don't believe it, if we don't see it, if the evidence works to the contrary, Christ still reigns. Look at verses 7 and 8. He says, you've made him for a little while lower than the angels. And you've crowned him with glory and honor and have appointed him over the works of your hands. You've put all things in subjection under his feet. Then the writer's commentary. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected to him. Can I say to you? That's really the sticking point. It's the place, it's the intersection of faith. When you ask yourself the question, is there a God? Why does evil persist? Can I say to you, we accept that in nearly every other realm of our existence. Let me illustrate it this way. If today I'm so hungry after this long sermon that gets out at two, if I'm so hungry that I'm just, but I'm hungry for something that I can only get in Raleigh, 
And I tell Jody, let's go to Raleigh for lunch. And then I decide I'm really, really hungry and I don't want to die of starvation between here and there. And I mash down on that right-handed pedal. And I just get up to 90. And I'm running 90 miles an hour all the way to Raleigh. First of all, I'll be passed by some of you probably. But I'm running 90 miles an hour all the way to Raleigh. Does that mean that the state government of North Carolina doesn't exist? No, it exists. Does that mean there's no law about speeding? No, it exists. The legislature actually passed a law that said this is, what, this is the speed limit. You mean speed limits don't exist? No, they exist. You mean there's no enforcement of the law? No, you might actually get to meet one if you run 90 between here and Raleigh. And get a safe driving award for your trouble. You say, well, that happens. I'll just, I'll just say I don't, I don't acknowledge his authority. <laughs> And then I'll have a jail ministry as I come visit with you. Fact of the matter is, you getting away with speeding, even if you made it all the way to P.F. Chang's and you, you ate there and you had a good time and you ate, you were full as a tick. It doesn't mean there wasn't a law that you broke. It doesn't mean there wasn't an authority. It doesn't mean that there wasn't an enforcement. It just means you got away with it for a little bit. But unlike that faulty example of, a, of our version of law enforcement, there's coming a day when God will enforce His laws and He will enforce them without regard to person and without prejudice. Every law will be enforced and every judgment will be right and everyone will stand before the judgment. There will be no exceptions. There will be no, got away with this one, Chris. No, there's no getting away with that. Because God will hold everyone to account. Now, in our world, we think, man, that, I know how that works, but you're saying that our reigning king and his law, that that's going to apply to everybody. Yes, and can I tell you, if you just take this verse as it is, Jesus isn't fighting to make that a reality. Regardless of the cartoon with the, the good angel and the bad angel fighting for what's going to actually be the outcome, Jesus isn't fighting for the outcome. The outcome's already settled. When from the cross he cried out, it is finished. He didn't mean chapter one. He said it's done. I've already settled it. I am King. God, in His great love, and because of what Christ had done, has exalted Him so that at the name of Jesus, if He works really hard and tries His best and eats His vegetables, no, so that at the name of Jesus, because it's already settled, every knee will bow. In heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue will confess Jesus is doing his best to try. No, Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's already settled. If there's a struggle, it's not a struggle over whether or not Jesus is king. If there's any fighting going on, it's a fight to get others to accept this reality and to trust him. Chris, I, I just don't feel that way. And after all, if Jesus is ruling, why does the Bible say that the devil is the ruler of this earth? 
Can I tell you, those two things aren't in conflict, by the way. Because just like you could act a fool and mash down on the accelerator and drive well above God's legal speed limit, the devil will get away with some stuff now too. But just the fact that, listen, just the fact that God hadn't grabbed that old serpent and ripped him by the neck and choked the life out of him yet doesn't mean he ain't gonna. Are you following me? Y'all are about as excited as a bunch of rocks. I know that he's already won. I finished the book. It already said how it all goes. I know it to be true. You may say, well, I don't see it yet. There's a lot of stuff I don't see that I still know to be true. The fact of the matter is, if that is true, in that day, On which side of the line will you end up? On the side that says I'm waiting for verification. Or on the side that says, man, even if my heart tells me otherwise, even if my feelings tell me differently, even if my eyes deceive me, yet will I trust him. Which side will you end up on? The reality as we experience it, as the writer of Hebrews identifies it in verse 8, is what those theologians call the inaugurated yet not consummated kingdom. But it will be consummated one day. That's not a question. The question is, where will you be? See, as unsure as the world may appear, the Bible speaks of some realities. It tells us Jesus is Lord. In fact, that's the confession of every Christ follower. Not Jesus save me. Not Jesus, get me out of jail, but Jesus, you're my boss. Jesus is Lord, Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, Lord of my life. It's not just enough that he's the world's Lord. He must, in fact, be my Lord. And by the way, Jesus alone will judge. And not based on standards that we might adopt, but based on a perfect standard that he himself has decreed. One only practically available to us by faith in his finished work because we know that in practice we can't fulfill it and his and if we're ever to satisfy his righteousness and his judgment he's gonna have to do it and we're gonna have to trust it a third reality is that he didn't create you to suffer but to flourish he created you for flourishing not suffering the bible says in john 3 and verse 16 that god so loved you That while in your rebellion, God gave his one and only son, that if you would believe in him, you'd not ever perish, but that you could experience eternal life. Verse 17 gives the context, I think. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. You say, well, he sure is slow about his business. No, friend, Peter tells us God is not slow as some count slowness, but he's patient towards you, not desiring for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. For a few to come to repentance, for all to come to repentance. Yeah, well, what if I hold out on him? Nevertheless, the next verse says, the day of the Lord will come. A day of judgment when you can't turn back. Hey, listen, regardless of what some dude who wore a shirt backwards and stood in front of a congregation may have told you in your childhood or you saw on television, there is no waiting room where you get a second opportunity. You got now, today, and nothing guaranteed beyond that. 
Because he is who he says he is. And his law is true. And he does reign. You say, I don't see it all yet. It's an already kingdom. Even if you don't yet see it. But it's as real as the ground I'm standing on. And as the ground you stand on. And he calls us to trust in these truths. By following and obeying him. Because we believe he is who he says he is. And if we trust him, he'll care for us. And that works its way out, not just in a confession at a church. But it works its way out in relationships. How we live out our relationships, in sexuality. Can I trust God in that area? In our finances, in, our, in every area of our life, can I trust Him? question is, do you trust Him? Because He never takes anyone and says, against your will, I'm going to make you trust me. But he does say this hope is available for any and all who would answer the question, yes, Lord, I will. My question to you this morning is, will you? Would you pray with me? Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message has been a blessing. If today's message has prompted you to consider a next step with God, we would love to assist you. Simply drop by our website at inglewoodbaptist.com slash next or give us a call at 252-937-8254 and let us know how we can assist you. If today's message was an encouragement to you, let me encourage you to subscribe, rate, and review wherever you consume this content. That really helps us reach a wider audience with the life-changing hope of Jesus Christ. We hope you will join us next week. And until next time, may the Lord bless you.